Attention, we've got hats. For a limited time, I repeat, we've got hats. They're black snapbacks with snuggly little dragons on them. Order your limited edition snuggleware from snugglydragon.com today. We've got hats. Do you like this podcast? Prove it and buy a hat. We've got hats. Snugglydragon.com. I'm trying to postpone my maturity for as long as possible, if you haven't <laughs> noticed. I'm not at all trying to make any analogies between Oliver Stone and Hitler, except that they're both impersonal doctors from work. Find me somebody to sup. Hello, everyone. It's me again. I'm back. I apologize for the delay. I'm sure you've been freaking out. Last week was the first week in 26 consecutive weeks, a whole half a year, that I did not summon forth into your earballs a new podcast episode. I was doing so well, uh, but give me a break. I got a lot going on, all right? I moved. I had my heart broken. I had a weird job being in a fake family Christian rock band in Mississippi. But most significantly, we began production on Snuggle TV, baby. Let's go! It's a new sketch comedy series pilot we're producing over here at Snuggly Dragon Entertainment. Last weekend, I played Italian identical twin orchestral conductors named Mario and Luigi. Up next, I'm uh, playing an 80-year-old kung fu master. Anyway, we got a, we're shooting a bunch of little goofy, dynamically choreographed comedy vignettes this summer, so podcasting is taking a back seat. I'll try and give you a little something-something every now and then, but don't expect me to spoil you like I normally do with free weekly content. Okay. Do you want to be smart like me? Then you need to listen to more audiobooks. Today's show is brought to you almost exclusively by Audible. Let me clear my throat like this. <clears throat> Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash snuggle. Over 180 billion titles to choose from. Just kidding, it's only 180,000, but that's still a whole lot. I like to listen to Russell Brand's books during my meal prep and commute, especially when they're free 99. AudibleTrial.com slash snuggle. Go watch The Horse's Ass on Amazon. It's a movie I directed that everybody loves. Some random guy told one of my associates that it's, quote, definitely worth two ninety nine. end quote. Thank you to Tito's Vodka for filling up our glasses and our hearts over here on the show. You should drink Tito's Vodka every day because it's gluten-free. There's a free nutrition seminar courtesy of Prime Nutrition and Training on June 8th from 9 to 11 a.m. at the East Bank Regional Library run by your girl Samantha Farber. She's breaking down the basics of food, exercise, and stress, etc. Healthy, trendy, non-trendy, important stuff, macronutrients vitamins, minerals, the difference betwixt the twain, and all that fun stuff. She's real smart. Listen to what she says. Email sfarber, S-F-A-R-B-E-R, 1290 at gmail.com to reserve your spot. Again, this is free. She's really smart. And it's probably the most important thing you can learn. Do you like this podcast? 
Cool. Me too. So what I'm going to do, like you should also do, is go ahead and click subscribe, share it, and review it on iTunes. Because that would be a big help. Because we got to help our content creators out. Because they need our help. Do you want to be famous like Helen DeGeneres? Email that snugglydragon at gmail.com for your chance to be featured content on the program. This week, I want to hear about your oddest phobias. Phobiae? Phobiae? I don't know. That's a good question, actually. Um, but what, what, whatever you're scared of, come on, open up a little bit. You know, don't, don't hide all your emotions on the inside. Let's talk about our fears, and maybe that way we can finally conquer them. Some feedback on the show. Mary from Alaska said, Finally, I listened to your podcast with Lenny. It was wonderful. Great job. I learned a lot from that interview. I'm sure I can figure out four things that I like about a person. And yes, what a great idea to write and tell someone what they mean to you. Uh, Yes, I'm getting a lot of positivity thrown this way about the wisdom from episode number 74, Mr. Lenny Allsfeld. Uh, Give it a listen if you want to become a little more sophisticated. Q's pet peeve of the week. I forgot to get one from him because I'm kind of been slacking, but I bet you that he doesn't like the excess amount of chicken fluid that materializes when you defrost a single-packaged chicken breast because it's just gross and slimy. Okay, enough nonsense. Today's episode, the reason for the season, why we're all here. I sit down with another mentor of mine, Mr. Hamp Overton, who is emperor of the UNO film program. He's a sly devil, he's chock full of wit, and he's charming as all heck. I love him, and so will you. Thank you for supporting our program. And stop slouching like that. Sit up straight. Good day. Snugly Dragon reason it's a kind of a common topic is how often you have to wash things i think there's definitely a continuum of germophobia if you will is this your first segue (laughs) welcome to the to the show everyone hamp how often do you have to wash pants (laughs) because it's not every time you wear them no right depends on what to do with them i guess right very true let's say it's just a normal day you're sitting in an air-conditioned building for most of the day. You're not running. You're not sweating or anything. I, I could, I could go for an embarrassingly long time before I wash the pants. <laughs> well, because what's it about? I mean, do you have a pre-prepared list of, of questions, or do you I just kind of go go off the cuff and say? We do a lot off the cuff, but when it comes to I mean, why why are you asking me about washing pants? I figured these would be, up. <laughs> these to be some sort of revel- relevant questions. Relevancy is is not one of our themes. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> kind of tangential. Let me see what silly what would Ham know very little about <laughs> pants. Okay. Washing pants. Okay, fine. Okay, what I'll else? Shy I... away from any sartorial questions from what here on out. Can I Maybe. ask him about? Um, Amp, how often do you trim your nails? How often do you trim your nails? Whenever they get too long. I agree. Do you know you're supposed to go, at least for toenails, do you know what the strategy is supposed to be to avoid ingrown? Uh, I don't. Please tell me. I think it, you're supposed to go horizontal. People like to do the rainbow to match how it's supposed to look, I guess, but I think that 
inspires. If you do horizontal trickery, you get those corners that are like claws, though. Do I have it backwards, maybe? Maybe you are supposed to? Well, I don't know. I'm just saying if you do your technique, you end up slicing open whoever's sharing the bed with you. There is a technique, and I don't think it's the intuitive one that you would expect. That's what I remember. That's how a lot of my information goes. It's you learned it once, you trusted the source. Maybe no matter how learn. accurate it was. <laughs> it's now become a totally different thing. Anyway. We'll segue into something you probably know a little more about. No, no, please. Go back to pants. That's fascinating. <laughs> we'll get to pants. Pants, pants always comes back. Uh, should I pay my camera ticket? The one that caught me speeding oh, yeah. in the school zone. School zone. I must have been distracted. And so I was going 34 because I thought it was a 35 and it was a 20. So they're trying to get me for 160 bucks. Yep. Some little robot that I can't even see yep. or accuse has, is telling me I just got to pay 160 bucks. Have you ever had, and not to get into any illegality or anything, we're both professional men here, but do you have any, any hacks for that? I mean, do you have any friends who have not paid tickets? Because I have a friend, for example, who has just never paid them, and he he's, hasn't had an issue with it, it. He's never paid them? Right. Oh, he doesn't want to do that. Well, he's, I don't think he's he wants gonna to get, pay him either. He's going to get pulled over at one point, and they're going to say, you know, you have a warrant for your arrest for failure to pay in these tickets. But I don't know if it goes on your criminal record. I think it's, it's a city violation. So what I hear is that when you park downtown and you get towed, if they impound your car, then they can kind of be like, oh, you can't have this back until you pay all these tickets. But I don't think... A moving violation. It's not a moving violation. So it says that on the... On the ticket. So he's not paying parking tickets, is what you're saying. But but it's a, a camera ticket. I think that classifies if they get you... I, I don't know. I just looked at my ticket, and I'm trying to weigh whether I want to drop... Because I also got another one. Because I was, I was thinking I was like six miles an hour over the speed limit, and you're only, I guess, allowed to go five. And 60 bucks. So it's like... I don't know. I don't necessarily think... Legality and morality always line up to be in you know the same thing. I think where, that's a little. Where are you in such a hurry to get to, Max? I'm a busy man. Are I you? A lot of a lot of dates to go on. I got mm-hmm. a lot of exciting, youthful, adventurous things going yeah, on. And a couple of minutes is gonna like ruin your schedule. That is a thing. Apparently, if you do the math and you speed, let's say you speed six miles an hour faster than you would have, you get there about. 45 seconds later. So you you even know this, Max. I know a lot. I'm a very contradictory, confused young man. So, but you've never, you always just pay, you just say the man, here you go. You don't have a right to face my accuser, kind of. Don't you think it's lame that they have just robot tickets like that that they can give you? (laughs) You were going over the speed limit, Max. You said that. You knew that. So robot or person, does it matter? Well, I didn't, I didn't know I was in a school zone when I was going, when I was obeying the normal speed limit. But I guess my problem is kind of the anonymity, the big brotherness of... You can still oh, go and contest gotcha. it. You can, but that's an admission of guilt. To contest it? If, yeah, if you sign up for a hearing, that's another thing. You can say, they can say, oh, we have officially served you, you know that you have the ticket. But one of your other defenses is, oh, I never, because they just send you a letter in the mail. 
So, okay, what if I never saw it? What if I never read that? They might put a warrant out for your arrest. Failure you to appear. It says we may, you know, use the law to pursue your... St- and so maybe they'll knock your credit. Maybe they'll send you to a collections agency. I don't know. I was kind of hoping you were going to gonna give me a cool trick. For example, when you... If you get a DUI or you're, if you're getting pulled over and you're drunk, apparently... <laughs> you, went, you went tricks to get a break in the law. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. What you got? Honestly, in New Orleans, <laughs> okay, it doesn't save you money, but this is how you save your insurance. Okay. There are attorneys that do nothing but defend speeding tickets. Okay. You hire the attorney, they go and defend your speeding ticket, and... But I'm guilty. Well, okay, I don't know about the cameras. Okay. But if an officer pulls you over, it's required that the officer be present for the hearing. Right. And the attorney will go to your hearing, representing you, and they will ask for a postponement. And they go back, and if the officer shows up again, they'll ask for a postponement. And they will keep doing this until the officer is obviously not going to show up, and then the ticket's thrown out because you can't Hmm. have the ticket. Now, this is only if a police officer gives you the ticket. And that's how you get a speeding tickets in New Orleans if you're pulled over by a but cop. But you got to pay an attorney, isn't it? True, but your insur- it doesn't go on your insurance. Oh. It doesn't raise your insurance rate. Okay, there we go. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. Now, this is for good people. They accidentally, <laughs> you by mistake, one, right? went over. They don't purposely try to go over the speed limit. I hope you don't think that I was one of those people. <laughs> I got caught off guard by a sneaky school zone. And you know New Orleans is a school Those zone every... sneaky school zones, yes. 15 seconds. They sneak up on you. They build them up and then they tear them down and they put them somewhere else. <laughs> school. Like, how important is that anyway? One Children's day, One safety. day you're going to have a kid, Max, and your whole perspective is going to change. I do want to get to that. I definitely want to get to that. But first, more about how to break the law. <laughs> um, well, you already know how to break the law. You're trying to figure <laughs> out how to get how out to get of with breaking the law. <laughs> Very good. Um, I... I heard, and this is crazy, but if you, you're drunk driving and you get pulled over and the police guys come in your way and you know you're busted, if you step out of the car, grab a handle of vodka, let's say, and just start chugging it right there in front of him, they can't prove that you were drinking before <laughs> you were driving. So let's say he breathalyzes you, you could, your argument in that case is, oh, well, it, you have the on camera because they have all the, you know, Vest cams and dashboard cams and stuff. They have you drinking, and that's the first instance where they can kind of get you with it. I think what you should do is say, hmm, I got caught drinking and driving. Maybe I should reevaluate what I do when I drive and not drink and drive in the first place. What are you, just a rule? Have you ever broken the rules beforehand? There's a reason. We have it against the law, drinking and driving, Max. There's, I will say there that. There are very don't good reasons. I support that. I'm just trying to develop good radio here. And <laughs> if someone's in a jam and a bind of some sort. I don't know how to get out of that one. I really think instead you should just say, all right, time for me to get my act together here and not drink and drive. Just drop 10000 bucks. I don't know what it costs to get a ticket. A, a DUI, I think, I think, is very, very expensive. Anyway, fun. We're so dealing the mes- with a goody so two shoes here. Folks. The message is don't drink and drive in the first place. 
Call an Uber. Like, hey, when I was your That's age, true. we didn't have Ubers and Lyfts and that kind of stuff. You can just call a random person, ask for a ride. Hey, yeah. I'll pay you eight bucks. Exactly. Right. That is true. That, And again, this might be one of those things where I learned something that wasn't true, and then I forgot about why it was true. But I want to say the DUI rates have not changed, even with the onset. Of no, they actually Uber. came down. I read an article in New York. They did come down. They actually came down like 25%. It was huge. It was a big change when uh, Lyft and Uber came along. Okay, well, somebody lied right to my face then. It would make sense. I, I don't though, know if it then. went down overall, but the article I read, it was at an area of New York. Somewhere in New York? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 If only there were some sort of information database that everyone if could only. access. If only. And it was true. Um, so are you allowed to kind of tell us about any, like the most trouble you've ever gotten? It doesn't have to be with the law. It could be with mom and dad and that kind of thing, but... I don't know. You're, we're built. We're painting this character of you where you're just this angel, this saint who never breaks any rules. I want to get some some raw. I, I honest. don't think you have to be a saint to not want to drink and drive, Max. Well, okay, I, I'm, I, I don't. I'm, that's the first. I think it's just being a decent human being. Fair. I think operating a motor vehicle under the influence is dangerous, and we don't condone that here on the Snuggly Dragon. But we don't necessarily condone following 100 percent of the rules 100 percent of the time. Of course. So is there an instance where you have... Because sometimes it's not so black and white. Sometimes the system that is enforcing the rules is so maybe not even correct. So you're asking me to incriminate myself while you're recording this? Not? Yes. <laughs> Fine. What about, what about in middle school? When, do you have any brothers and sisters? When I broke the law in middle school. <laughs> no, when you broke your well, parents' law. When I was drinking and driving in no. middle school. You're focusing speeding, on the wrong aspects here. Speeding through a school zone. <laughs> I found out that when I got pulled over with the cops, I could drink a whole bottle of vodka and then call an attorney and he'd get me out of it. Did you ever lie to your parents to protect your brother or sister from something they had done? Have you ever... You know what I mean? Because sometimes it gets tricky. Sometimes it's not always like, oh, you're a bad person if you disobey this rule. Not that I can think of. No? You're just George Washington? (laughs) No, that was a while ago. What, George Washington or when you were young? (laughs) Yeah, they're both about the same. Exactly. Uh George and I, I remember those days. I, I bet. This is just a convenient segue into... I'm trying to postpone my maturity for as long as possible, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> so I might follow a similar route to you. Uh, what's it like being an old guy with a young child? <laughs> you know, it's amazing because um, I had dinner with a, lunch with a friend on Monday, a guy I went to school with, actually. And he just had a little girl, adorable little girl. And I made some comment about, oh, when she's five. And he goes, you mean when I'm 50? Wow. Yeah, and then think about my colleague. Um, I don't know if we can say names or not. If, as long as it's not incriminating or embarrassing, but let's not use names unless we have Well, to. a friend of ours, one of your former teachers, that just adopted a, a baby. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so um, although, yes, I'm an old guy with a kid, I, I seem to be a trendsetter. As <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think that's kind of a trajectory. It's called infantilism, yeah, I think it's, but yeah, people you, are waiting longer. Right, and I don't know what everyone else's reason is, but you know, a lot of it has to do with you trying to develop your career, and it doesn't seem possible to start a family, mm-hmm. you know, get in a relationship, you know, do all this sort of stuff. It's a lot, and 
yeah, and have a career at the same time. It just doesn't seem... I, I don't know if that's the reason for everybody. I don't know if that was my particular reason. That's kind of my... I would like to be pretty set trajectory-wise before taking on all that responsibility because what if the trajectory doesn't work out? You know, Then you have all these mouths to feed and people to take care of. So that's a little intimidating for me. So that was a conscious decision on your part to kind of become a rock first... Not a rock, but I don't know if it was conscious, rock. but at some point I did make a conscious decision that I no longer wanted to, to not, not have, have family. family. Right. Because mm-hmm. it does seem like one of the coolest parts about life. I mean, I, I know, you know it's not for everybody, but having a child, I mean, that's got to be so rewarding and horrible and awesome. And I mean, what's it like? You're, you're a young parent, technically, right? You have a six-year-old, five-year-old? She is eight. Eight? My yeah. gosh. Mm-hmm. That's a... So that's the age of wisdom is seven, right? When the when the human psyche can determine she between must, right and wrong. She must be behind this guy. <laughs> no, she's a very bright little girl. I'm sure she's lovely. Uh, any kind of lessons? I mean, has she ever gotten in trouble at school? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, <God>. Okay. <laughs> Only if it's cute trouble. Do the first I want to time, know okay, in kindergarten, we get a note. Your daughter bit the girl in line in front of her. It's like, oh, okay. I didn't know she had that in her. Was it close to lunchtime? Was she hungry? Was they were in line for lunch. <laughs> she was, you know, she was. Fast metabolism affects us all. I don't think it was a hunger bite. Oh, okay. What do you, what do you tell a five-year-old? About just don't bite people? Yeah, stuff. You'd assume that would have been you know, part of the learning process in the first five years. <laughs> apparently that didn't sink in. <laughs> so we had to go over that lesson again. Well, but there was an impetus, right? People don't just do things for no reason. So was the other girl berating her, like being mean to her or anything? Like, Did she try and defend herself? Or did she not even remember? It was a gray area. Um, that's what we want here. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. What if what if the, the girl in front of her is poking her and annoying well, her, that's the thing. taking her lunch money? You assume your kid is the perfect child, and they aren't. Right. And right. so you're trying to parse what actually happened. That was the other child pestering her and was her rebuttal. The correct amount of return, I don't know, biting is the correct amount regardless, but um, and you, so I... <laughs> my logic was trying to corner into, into confessing, you know. Uh-huh. It was like an episode of Law and Order in our office in, our, in my home for a little while. I said, you know, they caught you on uh, video camera. That's a good tactic. Yeah. <laughs> we know the truth, so confess all the truth really quick, please. Guess what? It doesn't work on a five-year-old. <laughs> oh, good for her. Stuck with good. her guns. With her guns that were true or false? Well, well she you said she didn't bite her. Whoa. And I will never know and, and for the rest of my lives whether she actually bit this girl or not. The girl that got bit said she was bit. Other girls in line said, she, said my daughter bit her. And my daughter said she didn't. It's like and law and order. It is. And I, and I would say, we have irrefutable evidence of what happened. And she said, I didn't bite her. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? Like, Whoa. Right. Well, what indeed? You can't punish a child who believes or... Right. Oh, man. And you never want to think your kids are lying to you. Right. Because that would be the worst. And I think truth, and this is a, an actual common theme, but kind of the utility of truth and honesty and stuff comes into play. You almost can't operate 
if you are on the basis, if, if you're assuming that people aren't telling the truth. Because that's kind of the only way you can perceive, oh, yeah. right? It's, uh, yeah, kids learn, because we have an only child, and they quickly learn to, you know, tell mom one, some, one thing and dad the other thing. Mm-hmm. Or if they get the no from one parent, they go to the other parent. And so uh, yeah, the first question is always, well, what would your mother say? And <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> good parenting. There you go. I learned that from my dad. And they start giving you the answer that they want you to hear so that they will get permission. And they have to say, okay, you, you're not allowed to do that. You cannot um, manipulate or but, reinterpret what mom said to you. <laughs> the did. word of God is, is thus and only I can interpret it. Uh-huh. It's so cute that they think they can kind of outsmart you. And it must be so funny to watch them try and do that as they grow up. Yeah, it's funny until it's not. <laughs> until it starts to work, right? And it's like, all right, this, is, this has gone far enough. You need to stop this behavior. And, Certainly. And, and say that, yeah. So. Do you have... And again, we don't have to get too personal or anything here, but any views on, was it called corporal punishment? On like... Oh, beating the child? Not necessarily beating, but, but having a physical component to the discipline. Do you espouse that at all? No. Do you have any thoughts? Um, no, I don't. I do not want to hit the child. Violence is not the answer. Mm. I, don't, I don't want to. No, I don't. I, don't, I think they're... I think we've reached a point where we understand enough about raising children that we don't have to strike them to get them to grow up to be decent human beings. So it was an issue in the past of ignorance, I guess, in a sense? I would say probably ignorance is the right term. We believed it because we learned it from our parents. You know, like I was spanked when I was a kid. I know my parents were spanked when they were a kid. And, you know, we grew up now learning something different. That mm-hmm. spanking, it does not improve, at least that's what we've been told, does not improve behavioral. And with, with my child, I, you know, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a twin to have tested it with and say, well, let me see, I beat this one, didn't beat this one. Come on. What are the results looking like here? <laughs> but she seems to be coming out just fine without using them. Well, she's biting kids, you know. But I guess we kind of descend from a very violent evolutionary background so that has probably taken a long time to to fizzle out um, but I want to say there are scarier things you can do I guess scary isn't, isn't the word but I mean for example my father could if he just got his roar on like if he really yelled at me it, I would rather be punched in the face like that kind of like he and he was a, a singer and he had this Great baritone, and mm-hmm. I was like, "That's all he needed." And I wonder if, yeah, if you if you hit, does that teach them that that's a a method that they can use to get what they want? You know, and, and could be. Who knows? Yeah, I know. but I think it's uh, you know, back in the day of yore, even hundred years ago, it was more important for children to behave or listen to their parents more so than today. You know, as in, if a child did something wrong... It was more dangerous? Correct. There could be a lot more danger. It could have a greater impact on the family if the child chose not to milk the cows or something like that or didn't collect the chicken eggs. Little brother dies. We don't have breakfast this morning. You know, that's at the end. I don't know. So, but today, you know, children, the... It's not as critical that they mind every single rule. They don't have those... You know, they aren't helping the family. Instead, the family completely supports the child. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting point. 
I sorry, lost my train of thought. But as a as a father, I'm sorry. I had a super cool question to ask, and I just talked about <laughs> your father was roaring at you, and you said, uh, "Oh yeah, do you have any techniques that you've found to be more like most effective?" I mean. So I'm raising a, a dog, a young puppy. Give us <laughs> some tips. You laugh, you laugh, but it's 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 in between having nothing and having a child. It's you know sure. on the step. Of course, hey, it's responsibility. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like the perfect parent will not smack the dog, but oops, <laughs> that means the show is finished. So <laughs> that's our cue music. That's not supposed to come into the English. I um, guess my time's up early, isn't it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Max. Um, I, I think <laughs> 20 the minutes is more than enough. Yeah. Shut up. Thanks. We'll see you. No, no, no. Don't, don't keep talking. We'll I think... No, you're not off the hook yet. <laughs> I think the moments where you do hit the dog, it's out of frustration and, and oh, yeah. impatience. It's, as it's much, not as out much, of... It's as much a sign of, of your behavior as it is right, the reaction yeah. to their... There's a cool, you might like this, there's a cool samurai type fable where I think it's the shoguns were, were in charge of the samurai. I think something like that. There's somebody, I mean, now everyone's going to think of, you know, f- Asian food on Veterans Highway. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking feudal ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt. <laughs> Japan does Egypt. I guess whenever you say ancient, you have to say Egypt. Sorry, ancient Japan. <laughs> Um, the, the Shogun, I think, dispatches a samurai to go kill this dude. Uh, he's a criminal, he's a bad guy, so we need to get this warrior to go execute this guy. His judgment has been passed. So the samurai goes to the dude's hut or whatever, uh, knocks on his door, guy opens the door, and he knows who the samurai is, obviously. So he spits in his face, he says, you know, screw you, like, I hate you, like, go away, like, ah. Samurai just wipes the spit off his face and leaves. Then he comes back the next day, opens the door. It's the same guy. Guy's a little confused, doesn't know what to do. Samurai slices his head off. Because he didn't want to react emotionally in the moment, right? He wanted to be doing his job. He wanted a calculated, unadulterated by that horrible human emotion stuff. Because it's, it's, it's part of the very disciplinary, very, very disciplinary action. But it kind of just goes to show that, that you don't... You don't want to be reacting in the moment to your angst and, and whatnot. You that's want to just that. do your job that's premeditated, calculated, you know? So if you do have, you know, I'm going to beat my kid every Sunday, you know, as, as long as it's consistent, we'll say, as long as it's thought out, premeditated, and not done out of reaction. Well, as long as it's not an emotional reaction, and you're reacting to their behavior. Yes. I think it's the old revenge is, is it? Best serve cold, you Ooh. know that thing. So yeah. it's you have to let yourself calm down and make sure that your response is accurate mm-hmm. because you can't make that decision in the heat of the moment. I like that. So yeah, it's with your dog. The problem with the dog is that <laughs> dogs don't remember what they did wrong, and so if you don't respond quickly, it has to be as they're doing the right. Thing, it's not so okay. that means yeah. you have to train yourself to not react in an emotional way when the dog does something wrong, so that your response is adequate and accurate. Mm-hmm. To help train them to do the correct thing in the future. Do y'all have dogs? Do you, have you no, ever? we had a cat. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever raise a dog or anything in the past? 
I had a dog when I was a kid. Yeah, love dogs. Huge dog fan. You you like kids more than dogs, though. Well, I can potty train my child, which is great. I don't have to pick up after her when I walk her around the neighborhood. <laughs> well, so cat. I've seen cats on the internet who use the toilet as well. I wish my cat could do that. I still have to answer the litter box. But. You could put a litter box kind of in the gap between mm-hmm. the seat and the and then you just that. take yeah. it away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty bizarre to wake up Saturday morning, knock on the door, no one answers, you stroll right in, and the cat's like... Read the news. Get out of here. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, unless you have any other thoughts on parenting or things people should know, maybe you've seen like bad parenting on the playground or I mean I've seen bad dog parenting kind of drives me nuts and yeah. I just sit there and judge because I'm so self-righteous and I know exactly what to do right it's but tough not to judge isn't it yeah you can't have you ever had any issues having play dates where you have to your jurisdiction kind of gets cloudy where well, the thing is you you never know what that other parent is going through true you know true. what kind of crap is going on in their life what their day has been like and maybe they're wonderful all the other times, and now you're catching them just right at the bad at the moment. worst, yeah. So if you see them on a regular basis, and they're always beating their kid, it's like, eh, needs to make some changes. But I see. Have you ever had to discipline another person's child, and that was kind of awkward? I, I have. There was a play date at my house, and they decided to make water balloons inside the house. So I had to... I dropped the hammer. Dad dropped the hammer on that one. You threw a hammer at him? No, I did not. <laughs> it was a figure speech. <laughs> I see. The water balloons are for outside, <laughs> not for inside. There's a great um, story, I'm sure I've told this before, but there's this kind of sense of catharsis and freedom when you, you get out of mom and dad's house and you're on your own, you're in college, so they're mm-hmm. still paying for everything, but you kind of feel this way. If you're lucky, they're still paying for everything. Certainly. certainly. Or if you get a scholarship. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But, um, and this is actually... A, in graduate school, so this is when I was under your tutelage, and I was playing football in the house. We lived in this big, beautiful, kind of uptown house um, with four guys, just basically the frat house. Oh, boy. Post-college. You should know better by now. I, You know what? I should. You would think I, I would, but I don't. We're playing football, and we're just talking smack about moms, because moms, we, we, were, we were just sitting there very skillfully passing a football back and forth, a little eight yards She'd be like, my mom would never allow this in the house. If she walked in right now, she would scream and make such a big fuss. Look, we're totally fine. We're having a blast. We're articulate young scholars. Like, this is great. Behind the back pass, I I go for a trick one. Andrew tries to catch it between his legs. Just goes straight through the window. (laughs) Breaks breaks the pain. And I'm not kidding. It was about five seconds after we were talking smack about our moms. And we just laughed and laughed and hysterical, right? Maybe there's a, <laughs> maybe there's something to that whole matriarchy thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Did you ever hear that? Uh, um, a, uh, the Mark Twain line. He said, "When I was, um, yeah." Uh, I was surprised to to see how much my father learned from when I was eighteen till I was twenty-two. As I got older, how much he learned, right? Uh, yeah, how much he learned, right? Mm-hmm. Ooh, Mark Twain is a goodie. Are you a big Mark Twain fan? Yeah, I enjoy his stuff. I feel like he can't not be. He's he's fabulous. Um, what are some other... I don't think I've ever asked you. Some of your favorite authors, people you like to read. I got... When I was your age, I really got into Charles Bukowski. I don't know if you've read him or not. 
And then I got into later, um, his inspiration was a guy named John Fonte. He was, a, he was christened one of the new great American authors back in probably the 1930s. So. Well, what titles? Like what? Anything of, that people would. Charles Bukowski, he had um, he wrote a movie called um, Barfly with Mickey Rourke. You ever see that? Okay. Um, and then he wrote a book about making the movie Barfly. Smart. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. Very smart. <laughs> Clever of him. Uh, John Fontes, he actually wrote screenplays for a while. I, okay. I, th- I think he just wrote B movies, but. His. Do you still read screenplays? No, I really don't read screenplays, no. It's, it's kind of a bizarre, because you might as well just watch the movie, right? But I don't know, I, I read Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, yeah. and that as a screenplay was so awesome and so enjoyable. That's great. I even I kind of liked it even more than the movie. Huh, interesting. And I guess you kind of have to read the screenplay first. You do. Because if you have the movie in mind, then yeah. Kind of messed up, but mm-hmm. that just as a, as a story and the structure as it was, I I just so enjoyed. That's William Goldman, right? Mm-hmm. He's the man. Princess Bride, right? Yeah, and also what he does is he writes a um, what he calls I think it's called a, a selling script, or I forgot what his his term is, but he writes a script that's to get it sold, so it has a lot more information in it <clears throat> than you would it's use. Not a shooting script. It's not a shooting script exactly. So you you may have read his selling fluffed up, correct? Where it had more atmosphere to it, more descriptions, that sort of thing. Whereas when you yeah. read a shooting script, it gets more parsed down. It's more minimalistic and maybe doesn't allow you as good of a read as that first one you read. Certainly, there he just does little things, and I just I guess too much can obviously be gratuitous. But when you're used to reading such kind of bare. Mm-hmm. Exactitudes, you you appreciate a little more, a little bit sure. of flavor, you know. Sure. So he would say, "Oh, and Butch is doing this in the background, but if we don't notice, that's okay." And right, right. Keeps going on, and it's like, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's to get this thing sold. Once it's sold, the director wants to give it his own vision. So you you take that stuff out because that's really the director's decision to do things like that, unless it's integral to the plot or something like that. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, do you have any favorite all-time movies that you? Keep coming back to you, switch around. Yeah, no, I still probably my favorites are at least look look wise. I really loved um, the original Blade Runner. Oh, okay. To me, I think it's amazing how timeless the look of it is. Hmm. Uh, when you 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 can watch it and it stands up. I think image wise, the movies made today, even though it's almost all in camera effects that they hmm. did. Just... We are talking to a, a seasoned cinematographer here, um, so he's he's into the the lighting and the visuality of it all. Um, I guess how how can things I would I would imagine because it's from the eighties right Blade Runner I think nineteen eighty nineteen eighty nineteen eighty yeah mm-hmm. how because a lot of things just look kind of old and they they look kind of not f- wonky phony but mm-hmm. they just have the the film aspect and the I don't know with with everything today there's so much visual effects and all this kind of stuff but do you think it's just all about I mean, because good cinematography, how do you even get that? But it's just interesting lighting choices, or what, what do you think makes it good? Well, it was... It, 
well, the effects are so good. I mean, and not to rag on Star Wars, but Star Wars is pretty dated. You know, everything mm-hmm. from the haircuts to the, uh, <laughs> the outfits to the guys, right. the puppets, the Muppets playing in the band. It's like, yeah, this is probably made back in 1977. <laughs> you can look at it and no doubt in your It's mind. almost hard for me to watch. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. But if you watch Blade Runner, um, except for a few of the props they have in there, it's just, in my opinion, it's, it's like, wow, it's remarkable. It's kind of looking like, if you go back and look at 2001 A Space Odyssey, the effects in that movie, and that was mm-hmm. 1969, I think. Yep. And it's just remarkable how the um, the in-camera effects in that just really stand up to time also. Um. <clears throat> so it's... I do I do think it, it is a matter of doing it in-camera as most as you can. I think that's cool. The digital aspect... I mean, of course, you look at Game of Thrones, the dragons. They don't have actual live dragons what? in camera. No, you ruined it for me. I guess was well, this revealed in uh, season eight? Sorry, no spoiler alert. Are you watching the, the final season? I'm too cheap for HBO. I'll get it on the DVD. Oh, it's so good. Oh my gosh! I kind of kind of went down when they ran out of source material. I think instead of making it up. You Interesting. Know, yeah. You, you can watch it and you go, "Why isn't this as as good as it used to be?" And you go, "Oh, because they got new writers." I know why. <laughs> Fair. I I think it's still pretty good. I I kind of fell off the bandwagon at the Red Wedding, cause I do. You, are you familiar with the mm-hmm, Red Wedding? Mm-hmm. That turned me off so hard. Maybe I was too young and impressionable. It's but pretty tough to take. That was that was. You heroes, yeah, right. Oh, man, that's why I couldn't. I could yeah, but, there's, I, but there's always revenge. He always. <laughs> yeah, but that's not that comforting. It's he, like he oh, there's gonna be more genocide, death, murder, incest, politics. True. It's like. Wow. It's earned, but it's <laughs> yes. But I've kind of the, the second to last or season or so, I've kind of hopped back on because just the production and the acting is fantastic. It's, I love the series. It's unreal. It's it's mm-hmm. great. Um, so I guess there has been a sorry. I was gonna say, but there are people out there that don't enjoy it. Very few. I think it's the most popular television program in history. In history, could be. Just with regards to how many people are are watching it. But some people aren't into the whole fantasy Yeah, realm. it blows my mind. People yeah. want their movies to be just like life, you know? Normal, mm-hmm. everyday, believable stuff. Yep. Well, Tastes change, of course. Well, yeah, everyone has their own. I mean, The Office. I just realized The Office has no musical score to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's still so amazing. So, different strokes for different folks. Um, the point I was going to make was, I guess, technology has gotten to a point in the past to where we'll believe these kind of visuals. Like, it's, they're so good. I mean, was it maybe around 1995 or something where, because like we're saying, <clears throat> Star Wars of the past, that's not going to hold up. Do you think these dragons right now, are those not going to hold up in Probably. 2060? Look, I remember I did a, a paper on the first three X-Men movies, hmm. and the effects are so poor in that first X-Men movie. It's just... The digital effects, I should say. The one with Hugh Jackman as Wolverine? Yeah, it's the very first X-Men movie where Hugh Jackman doesn't want to join the X-Men and they mm-hmm. bring him in. Those I loved those. Oh, I they're great them. movies. They're terrific movies, but the effects just don't hold up at all. They're just they're pretty young. This is the one with Mystique, the, the blue mm-hmm, skin. Mm-hmm. I thought I know it's pretty young, so I remember being pretty enticed, but what what, what did, was your paper saying that just... Oh, it wasn't on the effects. I was doing it on, on the lighting. I was looking at the lighting. Cause oh. The first two were lit by one cinematographer, and the third one was taken over by Brett Ratner, was lit, lit by um, a, a different cinematographer. And so I was, I was doing a contrast between um, 
the lighting in the first two versus the third one. Any but, notable uh, theses? Coming yeah, it was it was interesting because the um, the first guy, what is his name? Is Thomas something other? Uh, he did a movie called Three Kings. I don't know if you ever saw that uh, with George Clooney and the Iraq War movie. I saw Two Kings, but I, I never got to the sequel. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> well, he used a process called um, uh, cross processing, and that's mm -hmm. you shoot on film stock, but you develop in the chemical bath for a different type of stock. So film stock comes in uh, negative film stock mm -hmm. and then positive or what we call reversal stock. And he shot, I believe in reversal stock and he developed it in positive chemicals. And it gives you a very different look to the image. Um, so he shot an entire movie in that called Three Kings and then he goes on and shoots, um, he, he works with, with um, uh, who's the director of the first X-Men, what's his name? It wasn't Brett Ratner? No, Brett Ratner did the third one. Um, he, he was the guy that did... Mm, I'm drawing a blank now. It'll come to me. But uh, if you look at the flashback sequences of Wolverine, when he... Yeah, those were pretty badass. Like you, really green mm -hmm. kind of... He brought that process back, and he did those flashback sequences and that cross-processing thing right there. And if you also um, read about it, he talks about it. Because in the second one, they capture Magneto, right? I think mm -hmm. it's the second one. And he's in that prison. Mm -hmm. It's all plastic. Oh, gosh. Big Hollywood production movies are so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're playing amazing. chess. Oh, yeah. And he talks about his light and influences came from the Godfather. And if you look at it, they mm. have these lights right over the guy's head. And so the guy has deep shadows in his eyes. You can't see his... You know, like if they lit Marlon Brando in the original Godfather, where you have the... Right. Uh, it almost looks like a skull, because he has eyes already light in him. And you can see the same thing. Mm. It's interesting to see the pattern. And... It, it is, in my opinion, it's not at all flattering lighting for the actor, because the actor has a pretty prominent nose. And um, and then you move on to the third one. So the, the, the first cinematographer seemed more about lighting the set and getting a kind of a look for the set and didn't take as much attention to detail to lighting the actors. And then mm -hmm. you go on to the, um, the, the third one, and it was lit by Dante Spinotti, and she, Every actor looks their best in it. He, he really takes care in making the actors look terrific. Are there, so that's interesting to talk about the nose. So if you're trying to make the actors look good, you give them... You don't light them directly overhead. Right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't put a spotlight over there. You don't you well, try and avoid shadows. Well, because you, you have all these dark shadows in the eyes and just the nose is prominently lit and so it makes it stand out even more mm -hmm. it makes it look large it's a bright forehead the man was older and his hair was thinning on top so you had all these highlights and spots and and you're you're actually highlighting or making parts stand out that you probably don't want to make stand out which is you know oh the guy's losing his hair oh look how large his nose is it's like why would you light an actor that way? I mean, and an actor has to be really brave to allow a cinematographer to do that. Right. <laughs> and they don't, it's not up to them. It, well, right? it can be. You know, actors sure. can say, hey, uh, light me better. I look like crap in this image. <laughs> or an actor can say, cool, I understand what you're going for. Go ahead and make me look terrible. Hopefully it, it's in service of the story. Well, right, right. Because that's the thing. There was a, a movie called um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf back mm -hmm. in the 60s, and it started Richard Burton and... Um, uh, and, and Elizabeth Taylor, and it was lit by Haxel Wexler, and Richard Burton did not want Haxel Wexler to light because he used hard light on people all the time, and Richard Burton had really bad skin from acne, acne scarring. <clears throat> and sure enough, Haxel Wexler 
would light him, would light him with like a single bare bulb, and you see all the acne scarring on his face. But in the end, Richard Burton accepted. He said, because he always wanted to be lit with softer light or you know from better angles because it made his his complexion look better. He didn't want. He was a movie star, you know. Right. I don't want. To, I don't want to look bad on the screen, which is understandable, right? Um, but he said, "Okay, I understand. This is this movie is about this deteriorating relationship, this marriage between these two people. It's shot in black and white. It had, you know, stark darks and light color. I mean, it was that stark, um, heavy blacks, heavy whites, and stuff like that." And so he accepted that he was lit with this really harsh lighting and it showed all the imperfections in his skin, but that he felt helped his character and helped tell the story. So he was okay with it in the end, mm. um, but not at the beginning, is my understanding. So when I look at a movie like, um, you know, I'm not sure if actors have the clout that they do back in those days. Maybe some actors do. You know, like movie, like uh, Tom Cruise, you know, he's a... He's a star, right? He, and part of his star he's a power, brand. absolutely, yeah. and part of his brand is that he's a good-looking guy, you know. And so he probably makes sure that he, in his contract, hey, this is, and he's also a producer too. So, okay, we're going to hire someone. That's true. Yeah, I have to look good in these movies. Um, don't make fun of me. Don't make me look like an idiot, unless he consciously chooses to do so. Like when he made that movie, what was it? That Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. I <laughs> okay. couldn't believe that was hit. <laughs> when I saw the credits at the end. I was like, what? Right. That was so. So I think that's when it's more fun. I mean, as an actor, you you're supposed to look different. You're not supposed to just have this one. Sure, play, you are. Right. It takes a lot of guts to do that because I mean, I. Uh, you know, what if you can't bounce back from that? You know, because you can have one room, movie ruin your career. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but can't wait. it's tricky, and there's so much going on. It's part of the fun of film production. Is there's so many little things you got to take into account. And yeah, absolutely. I use, um, and I, you know what? I used to use this analogy. It was like trying to solve while juggling Rubik's cubes <laughs> is film production and then I saw a video of some kid in South Korea juggling Rubik's cubes breaking the world record solving while juggling the Rubik's cubes hey, he'd, be, he'd be a great film director <laughs> <laughs> yes yes he would where's the director well he's over there oh, sorry he's Rubik's cube right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of wanted you to, to blow my mind with some cinematography stuff one thing, did you ever notice? So I'm hey, guessing the cinematography stuff I shared already has not blown your mind. <laughs> well, with specifics with regards to kind of physics and theoretical kind of stuff, I think that's so interesting. Uh, did you ever notice in class, Hamp was my professor for three lovely years. Um, did you ever notice us calling it cinematography? <laughs> I didn't we were trying to that. piss you off, but we would say cinematography, and I don't know if you ever caught on to it. I the, probably didn't. The whole class was called cinematography. He ganged up against me, didn't he? Yeah. Well, you got to do something to pass those long, <laughs> long PowerPoint hours. <laughs> um, and I do want to talk about the UNL film program and everything. Uh, is it an intentional? Before we get to cinematography, is it an intentional kind of hazing maneuver to do that first class that y'all did? Do you remember what the very first? session was that you, you taught oh, us. Oh, on a video camera? It's it's all the codecs, and it's all the most technical, <laughs> intimidating information, and I remember sitting in this class, and no one knows anyone yet, 
and it's our first day, and we're taking notes on PowerPoint, you know, that's fine. But it was just, it was not the kind of easy layup. It was like we dive right into all We just want to remind you that uh, filmmaking is not all fun and games. <laughs> so is it an intentional maneuver? No, it's not intentional. The, the point is that um, the first, at least from my perspective, um, the first thing we teach you is how to use the camera. Mm-hmm. And so my job was to explain the camera to you, and it's a, it's a technical device, so I had to explain it to you. Okay. I, I, tried, I tried to make it. I tried to weave history into it. She would understand why we are here today, shooting in 24 frames per second, um, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and why <clears throat> video didn't look this way. And, and so that's kind of why I went into inter, interframe video at the beginning and, and how film started off at 16 frames and evolved to 24 frames, and video came along and it tried to copy film but it couldn't so in the US it went to 30 frames which were 60 interlaced fields <laughs> and then eventually all of that came out a lot of numbers that's what it was yeah it was a lot of numbers you're right right the numbers and so um, but it's uh, it's um it's just kind of an interesting evolution of how we got to where we are and and the formats that we use today kind of a nerdy technical question are we still doing drop frame like is it twenty nine? Yeah, it's, it's, it's legacy is the main reason we still use it. Mm-hmm. What does what does that mean? Uh, that means there's so much material out there that's drop frame that we continued using drop frame. Okay, I want to say I shot my thesis twenty four frames per second flat on the red camera. You probably did. Uh, it's drop frame is a numbering system. It's not. You can take Avid for example, and I'm sure Premiere does it too. You can put. You can put your media in there at whatever frames you want, and then choose your timeline to represent a different frame per second. So you can say, all right, I know I shot in straight up 24 frames per second, but my timeline is going to be 23, 9, 7, 6. So you can always go down. You can't go up. Well, if you went up, you would you would um, speed up the film. <laughs> when you go right. down a little bit, you're not you're not going to notice a motion difference. It's yeah, it's point oh one percent. So it's it's very very small. Um, but the only thing is is that you have to keep in mind if you recorded your sound at straight up twenty four, then you have to change your sound also, or else you're going to lose sync after a while. After like an hour. No, not even that. You'll start to see a drift within a frame or two within like a minute or oh, wow. three or something like that. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll, it'll drift pretty soon. Okay. Um, I'm super interested in physics, so I, was, I couldn't really come up with a specific question, but I just what, what, what blows your mind about the theoretics of, of cinematography? Like what, because I mean, why are you so interested in it? What, what? Well, I think a lot of cinematographers are artists as well as techno geeks. Definitely. There's a lot of toys in cinematography mm-hmm. and they're fun to play with. Um, you have cameras and lenses which are beautiful and then you have lights you get to use and then you get to <clears throat> you get people to volunteer and stand in front of you and you get to light them and manipulate the lemons. I mean that's that's a lot of fun to do. Yeah, you know? Okay. Uh, so and you get to collaborate with people. You, you, if you collaborate with a great director and great actors and a great script with a great production designer, you really get to make something very, very special. Um, Definitely. So. Yeah, that's, it's so cool. And you, you can just kind of make, make the jumps and see the difference between, you know, a student film where someone 
you volunteer to be production designer, and then you you hire a production designer, mm-hmm. and you have a cinema, and it's just it's hard to put a pin on exactly, but you can just it's this elevation that the project comes to when it's got all people who are fired up about their jobs, trying to make that their career, right, and doing that for you. It's awesome. Yeah, but that's not to say that one you know one young person can't do that if they are conscious of it. You know, for example, having a great production designer is terrific. Um, but your production design can be fairly simple. It's just important that you think about someone's your production design. You got know, direction someone's for it. Paying, yeah, paying attention. Yes, that's a good point. It's like, okay, all the reds are doing this, or just, just some semblance of theme. Well, the, the simplest thing you see is, you know, in student films, they'll shoot in, you know, a room or in a park, and in the room they don't clean up the background. You know, they they leave their dirty laundry in the background, and they <laughs> the, the Starbucks cups on the shelf back there, and, and it's all these attention to detail, and you have to think, well, is this what it's supposed to? Be? Yeah, give me a throw. Okay, you are referencing. Yeah. Did that actually? I don't. I could not have been real. People are saying there was a Starbucks cup left in an episode of the of like you know Game of Thrones, fantastical ancient world. There's just a little cardboard coffee cup. I I mean I didn't see it. I I saw the still frame. I didn't see it on TV, and. It, Obviously, you know, what is it, 80% of the movies and TV show is CGI? How could they not remove that in post? I just don't how, how would no one have seen it? So I think well, you the know, internet you, is trying to sensationalize and just do stuff. So someone could just put or that Or they in were there. so rushed that... Because um, when, you, when you get rushed, you miss stuff like that. Right, but how many hundreds of people were looking at that in post and, and on set and... To think that they you're would right, you're miss right. that. But everyone's focusing on something else, you know. The director's watching performances, okay. The cinematographer's looking at lighting. The colorist is looking at color. The editor's looking at editing. So unless the prop person or this, you know, the set dresser missed it the very first time on set, it may have gone undiscovered so all the way Do you think it through. actually happened? I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll find out one can, day. Can you just put... Can, couldn't someone on the internet have just put that oh, yeah. picture in there because they're saying that HBO has since gone back and edited it out sure that's hard to say edited it out <laughs> edited it out you just did it edited it out four times in a row <laughs> Could well be. I'm a vocalist so. yeah you're an expert don't try <laughs> right. it at home <laughs> be careful I don't know I just don't buy it. I just think everything's fake that you see on everything's clickbaity attention grabby sensationalized like oh media it's just I don't buy it Reality TVs. Oh, all the writers went on strike, and there's for some reason we can't have reality TV shows for a little bit. Come on. Could be. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on reality TV, that kind of stuff? I, I don't mean, really watch reality television. People love it, and I just, I just don't get it. I don't get it. There's so much amazing content to consume. Some I guess people give the arguments like, oh, I just like to turn off my brain and watch stupid stuff. It's like, okay. I don't know. If you want to turn off your brain, well, I, I, you know, everyone's different. So. Certainly. If it works for people, great. Yeah, but you don't buy that. I, I, some people will defend to the death that reality TV is real. Oh, they're actually doing that. That kind of stuff. Oh, no. We know it's not real. I mean, it's, the, it's uh, the, <laughs> they got rid of the writers, and what they do is they have... Because I have friends that, that uh, produce reality television, and they tell me about the stuff that they... Conceive and, and come up. I will say up. that sounds fun. Yeah, you know, well, the, the sad thing is that they're producers on these shows, and what they do is they um, create scenarios 
or they'll do retakes and say, why don't you try this? And they're essentially writing the film, mm -hmm. but they're not being paid as writers. That's how the studios get away with not paying writers. <laughs> they just have producers be the writers instead in a reality television. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not. It's unscripted. Well, it's not unscripted. It's, it's uh, very directed. It's very directed, absolutely. Yeah. So instead of coming through the house, you know, after your mom cleaned the kitchen, uh, put Let's your shoes back on and, and trump the modes and now come in the house. Oh, now we've got our conflict. Super. Right. Mom screaming at the kid. That's great TV. Let's do that. <laughs> and I think they're going to cast, for the real world, or so, for example, mm -hmm. they, they cast just the most chemically imbalanced, oh, sure, absolutely. ridiculous people ever. And so you're just kind of throwing a bunch of dynamite and gasoline exactly <laughs> right uh-huh let's put them all in there okay and this person will probably hate this person this person will hate this person yes Great. so i mean i guess it's as long as you have conflict it's interesting that's kind of the rule well it certainly it can be interesting yeah that's that's mm -hmm. the component of drama is conflict conflict equals drama um they say comedy is tragedy one step removed Tragedy plus time, correct. Okay, yeah. Interesting. So it's like either someone else's tragedy mm -hmm. or or plus time. What do you mean by that? It's the same thing. I mean, you can make a joke about um, the Titanic today, <laughs> but you couldn't make it the day the Titanic went down. Well, yeah, I guess you could, but it probably wouldn't be taken as well as if you made a Titanic joke today. Any other rules of comedy? I'm always studying this. Rule threes, right? That's... Uh... An expectation kind of thing? Yeah, it's not just comedy. It's also other things, too. Three is a magic number. Three is a magic number. You're trying to show... What you do is you set your audience up for a pattern. And so the first one starts a pattern. The second one reinforces a pattern. And the third one, you break the pattern. Uh -huh. and, and so there's your joke there, or there's your change, change up or something like that. Fabulous. If you do four, you, you're, you're going too long on it. Yeah, I'm just getting bored with it. I don't know about that. But. <laughs> some people, there are some comedians who go five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And I guess it's just about misdirection and surprise eventually. Surprise. Surprise yeah. is a key thing to comedy. Is you're expecting this answer, and instead you get this answer. And mm -hmm. it takes you by surprise, and you find it humorous. It's been described to me as a different intellect. It's because you have to, in order to be surprising, you have to be thinking in a way that people weren't expecting or haven't thought before. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so Observational comedy, right? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah. Have you ever thought about, what is grape nuts? Yeah. <laughs> You're playing food, you know? Certainly. Is it grapes? Is it nuts? <laughs> the old Jerry Seinfeld one. <laughs> Wait, what is it? Jerry Seinfeld. What are grape nuts? They're not grapes, they're not nuts. <laughs> Oh, man. It was funnier back in the 90s. Trust well, me. it took me a while to think, but... Uh, Seinfeld. Are you a big Seinfeld guy? Oh, I think it's great. Yeah? Yeah. It's I, definitely I, what, great. What's interesting, have you watched his comedians in cars getting coffee? Mm -hmm. He's <laughs> He's so tone deaf when he's talking to some, especially with women. Have you noticed that? So I haven't seen too much of it. Oh, man, is he tone deaf. 
the one tone deaf like what is he singing the one the one with Ellen DeGeneres is almost so <laughs> cringeworthy you just the, the one with Tina Fey was like watching an awkward first date and <laughs> see I don't like the awkward he, I can't he, do awkward I, one of my favorite of them was when he had Sarah Silverson on and he said you know you're really funny and she's a comedian for a living and he's it's like <laughs> what else is she supposed to be right. <laughs> he, he didn't pleasantly tell any of the male comedians that they're funny. That's <laughs> right. so condescending. It's so condescending. And the thing is that they include it. You know, he, he is, I'm sure he has final say on all the edits. They put, right. they put all this awkward girl. Oh, hey, you're real funny. Yeah. And again, the Ellen DeGeneres one is hysterical because he's asking her all these questions about being a lesbian. And it's just like, oh, man. Just, he's got so much money he has enough not to care anymore I, I don't know you would think by now he would have wised up or yeah. but he's brilliant he's obviously brilliant and there's that kind of interesting you want to you want all your jokes to be intentional you want your humor to come from uh-huh. a place where you that you put it there but I mean to also get like is it good to also get laughs kind of incidentally no, like I, that I think that's his blind spot yeah well I guess but it's part of the reason you like it, right? Well, it's tough to say. Well, it's, it's not why I like it. It's embarrassing when you see him behave that way. But I find it curious that he includes that in, in his. So I, I don't know if he has people around him that aren't saying, you know, Jerry, you're looking like kind of a misogynist here. <laughs> or if no one is, does not have anyone around him to point that out, or does he not see it, or is it stuck in there regardless? Like, yeah. Or maybe he just doesn't care, and he says, yeah, that's just... Because, you know, he... Or maybe he's got seen... the drop on all of us, and he knows that it's there, and You're it's right. entertaining. And he, it could, it could, I'm sure he doesn't care because he's at this stage where he's... You ever see that, that, that uh, red carpet event where Keisha tries to give him a hug? And <laughs> he's being interviewed by someone, and she runs up and goes, Jerry Seinfeld? And he goes, hey, how you doing? She goes, oh, I want to give you a hug. And he says, oh, no. I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> she she's so disappointed and she walks away and he turns to the interviewer and says, who is that? <laughs> and they say, that's Keisha. He goes, oh, well, I wish her all the best. It's <laughs> 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 just beyond caring. I, a part of me really <laughs> admires and respects that. Oh, uh, it's great. I think it's terrific. To be at the point where you're just shamelessly, authentically you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. you don't have to. He doesn't want to hug. He's not going to hug. Sorry, that's not my thing. No small talk. No Mm -hmm. kind of BS, just being who you are. Right. That's kind of what you want to It's refreshing. It's very refreshing. It's very honest. Mm -hmm. No mask, you know, no social mask. And that might be why he doesn't edit all those awkward things he says when he's talking. Maybe that's why he's so successful. You know, he's obviously doing something, right? I think he made fun of it to a great extent on this TV show that Mm -hmm. he maybe, you know... um, uh, David. Larry David. Larry David, yeah. Larry David. Um, oh, he's tough for me. Mm-hmm. The Kirby Enthusiasm. Yeah, that's tough to watch too. It, uh, the awkward, uncomfortable mm-hmm. genre. It's like Michael Scott does it in The Office. And I, I yeah. love The Office despite Michael Scott's best efforts. But, and, and, I've cor- and everyone always gets so mad at me when I talk about this. Oh, Michael Scott's the greatest, blah, blah, blah. I, I think what he's done is just iconic and amazing, and I respect it, but it just makes me feel bad, and I like to feel good. Oh, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it can be tough to, tough to sit through. 
have you ever used any, I kind of want to get into production stories, kind of fun, because I mean, you've been on hundreds of sets, right? I mean, have you ever used bizarre lighting setups? Like, ever used, like, lava as a key light, or kind of, mm. I, I think Scorsese, I was doing a paper for you, actually, I think, and uh, it's Shutter Island, and he's got the, the match that he's trying to, to use, and they're just lighting that with blow torches from off camera. Right, they use flambeaux like they use in the Monaco yeah. parades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. have you ever been in a part of a particularly interesting setup or just one that sticks out to you? Or that got me thinking. Um, cool. What's cool is is just interesting bounces. I mean, I love when people do off the table, like an interrogation scene or something like like in Glorious Bastards, Robert Richardson, that heavy, heavy kind of. Right off cam onto the wooden table. Right. He does that in almost every movie he likes. <clears throat> he lo- you'll see it in Hateful Eight. You'll see it in um, mm-hmm. uh, in Django Unchained. In all, all the Tarantino movies he's done. And a lot of the uh, Scorsese movies he's done also. That's his favorite thing is to blast an extremely bright light onto a table and have it bounce up into the... Uh, I mean, off the, the wood. It just, mm-hmm. And I guess it's, mm-hmm. it's more than just getting a pretty picture. But... I don't know. Are there any kind of cool setups you like, or? Well, I guess on the um, the last thing we're doing. Let me see if I can't think of what we did there. We did. Um, you have to find shortcuts and things like that. It's kind of fun to shoot through different, put light through different, you know, fabrics and through different branches and trees to create different patterns on the walls. Because huh. as you as a you know, as an object gets closer to a light source, the shadow it casts is more blurry. And so by staggering your objects, you can create more detailed shadows and more blurry shadows and combine them together. And you get those in your in your house when it's like late at night, in the, not late at night, late in the afternoon and the sun's coming through at an angle and it might be going through a tree and it'll throw a pattern the on the wall. It's the most beautiful time of the day, I Isn't think. Isn't it gorgeous? Yeah. Late afternoon sunlight. Mm-hmm. So. The sun's not as contrasty because it's not as bright and hmm. it's shimmering through those those leaves which are sort of breaking the light up and it's also going through more atmosphere so it's a little bit softer and so you can have fun with the with lighting like that so that's physically it's i mean if you think about a prism and and lighting and why sunset is a different oh that's a good question i got i got some more content here anyway it's coming at more of an angle through more atmosphere so it's it actually the wavelength is increasing well, or it's refracting off a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's it's being scattered because the atmosphere is full of dust and it's full of um, clouds or water vapor, and so it has to try and dig its way through all that stuff. Because um, there's more of it if you're on, if the Earth is round. If the Earth is round, let's go on an assumption. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. it's going through more things. It's if going through more at atmosphere, correct. Than if it's directly, if it's directly overhead. overhead. It's going through less atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Why is the sky blue, Hamp? It is a, it's what's reflected back to us. I think it's um, the color of the atmosphere is, is reflecting back to us. Okay, so the chem, the elemental makeup of, you know, the nitrogen, oxygen, whatever's going on in the atmosphere, what that's made up of. The sun hits that, bounces, and then bounces into our retinas. 
it is it is excited and I mean you're the teacher here, you should be the one explaining this part, but I'm not sure exactly the answer to it. <laughs> well because it, it's like you, you think you think you know why the sky is blue, but then you try and explain it. It's like what? But it, it, the atmosphere is acting as a prism, right? It's it's ref, the the light from the sun hits the atmosphere and it refracts. Otherwise, it would it would just be pure white. No. Okay. Stop me when I'm when I'm. Totally <laughs> light goes through the atmosphere, and it may scatter the light. The atmosphere may scatter the light, but the light is. Uh, you have what's called full spectrum light. The sun is a full spectrum light, right? And it contains it's got all, the, all colors. the colors, right? Right. So if, if the sky was a prism, it would scatter that spectrum. Everywhere. And people in Africa would see red, while North America would see orange, or whatever's under the sun at the same time, right? I'm not a meteorologist. I could be making all this stuff up here, but let's it sounds good. It. Let's keep making There needs to be a big asterisk at the end of my conversation here. <laughs> this has not been verified. <laughs> so you have the the light from the sun is full spectrum, and yeah. it's and it gets absorbed or reflected by every item on Earth, whether you're like this yellow tablet here. Mm-hmm. And this yellow tablet is re- is absorbing every color and light of the full spectrum light except for yellow. It re- it only reflects yellow back because of the elemental makeup of correct of what it's the, made the, out. the chemical makeup of what this paper is. And if you're wearing a, a blue pants or you have a blue jacket or blue dye, whatever it's going to be, it's going to reflect only blue back, and it's going to absorb all the other aspects of, of the, uh, the visible spectrum into it. Okay. So that's how we see colors. So the blue sky, the atmosphere, Sorry. is just absorbing all the other colors except for the blue. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's light being reflected back to us, right? And it's interesting because there's subtle differences between pigment and light coloration. Right. Well, you're going back to our whole additive color and subtractive colors. Mm -hmm. Um, Pigments are a subtractive color and light is an additive color. Confusing. I know, it's very confusing. There's lots of different color systems, but um, uh, the sun, let's take the sun again, that's an additive color system. All the colors of the rainbow added together equal white light. Mm -hmm. Okay, whereas pigments, as you mentioned before, if you take all the colors in a paint kit and mix them together, what do you get? Black. You get black. It's subtractive. Okay, so you have black is subtractive. That's the solution there. White is additive. That's the solution there. Interesting. Well, we can at least explain sunsets. The reason that the sun, because the color of the sun doesn't change. It's just what we're looking at it through. Correct. If we're looking at it straight up through this, we're getting white, I suppose. It gets tinted as it goes into a sunset and also sunrises are a little bit different color too. But that's refraction if it's a sunset. Well, it's mainly coloration because it's, it's pushing through dust and smoke and things like that. And so, but yeah, it might also be refraction. Because the angle, but if, if that's refraction, then it also has to be refraction when it's right up above. Sure. We need to get it some get to the bottom. less quacks in this studio. Uh, moving right along, is there, do you know anything about, probably not, but uh, I once heard someone talk about how the color magenta 
is kind of a, a weird phenomenon where we might not be seeing the same color. Like what we say as magenta, like let's say this little box of magenta, it's it's in a gray area. It's probably not a good thing to use, but it's in a, a murky kind of neurological thing to where we might be seeing different colors. Or, I mean, is there an objective reality, Hamp? I don't know. Good answer. Because that's an interesting kind of fellow. Well, okay. Do you know anything about the magenta crisis? The crisis in magenta? I, I don't. Magenta is a weird color because... Um, it's both warm and cool, right? Right, which is bizarre. Whoa. Yeah. <clears throat> because if you think about the visible spectrum, think about your your grammar school color collection. Roy G. Biv, do you remember that? I certainly do. Red, Indigo orange. and violet seems a little outdated. But. They are. Indigo is pretty much outdated. But if you think about it, that's your visible spectrum. And if you're on the, on the red end, that's near infrared on the wavelength. And if you're on the violet end, that's near ultraviolet. So you have, it's a linear progression. As you go from one to the other, the wavelengths change. Magenta is made up a combination of violet or blue and red. So how do you combine those two together? You know, it's pretty crazy. That even baffled, I think it was uh, Newton when he was making the color wheel. It's like, cause he how do you get that? <sighs> I'm not real sure. Yeah, that is cool. It's so cool to think about because those are even just the, the spectrum of visible light. That's just what we, because we're humans, can see. Correct. But there's so many more wavelengths. So. Well, yeah. I mean, you have everything from X-rays to the predator radio can waves. see infrared, right? Animals can. Some animals can see um, ultraviolet. You know, like some butterflies and some fish, some insects can see ultraviolet. Butterflies can see ultraviolet. Rays. So there's some of their wings. Not all butterflies, but uh, they have ultraviolet colors in some of the wings. Some insects. And fish also can, some fish can see ultraviolet. Cool. And not only that, but um, not all animals see colors the same way. We have, um, I just heard this on the radio, that we and, what do they call them? Old world monkeys. So that'd be you just and me. Just try and say politically correct here, Hip. <laughs> that was the term they used on the radio. Old porch monkeys. <laughs> no, on. no, okay. we're not saying that. Okay. We're saying old world monkeys versus, I guess, new world monkeys, which would be... Monkeys in uh, in South America, places like that. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. From me? an anthropological. <laughs> yes. I'm back. I'm back. Thank you for staying with me. Okay, so uh, we share the we share the three cone color cone system in our eyes, which is red sensitivity, green sensitivity, and blue sensitivity. We have three cones. Each one is sensitive to one of the three colors. <laughs> and apparently, only us and the old world monkeys share that color sensitivity in our eyes. Other right. animals have either two cones or maybe more cones. Those are the three primary colors of light, red, green, and blue? As defined by humans, yep. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Gosh, so we don't even know what crabs are. are but we do. No, we do, because we know we can look at their cones. At their eyes. And their see. eyes. Yeah, dogs have two cones, is my understanding. Because they are colorblind, or is that a myth? Well, they, can, they can't see certain colors that we can see. I think it's greens or something like that that dogs can't see. Interesting. And then some people are lucky enough and they have a fourth cone and they can actually see. Some people? People, yeah. And they can actually see on a, on a different level than, than you and I can. And they make great artists. Wow. So when I think of, I mean, I'll think of, uh, for example, you have a color matrix in a program and it, you have a, a thousand shades of green, a thousand shades of blue, a thousand shades of red. And then all sorts of those combinations make up all the potentiality of colors that you can 
and manifest. So if you have a fourth cone, do you just get more of that, or do you get extra colors? I believe you get extra colors. Colors that we can't see. We with the three cones can't see. They, and even, even the, the, the materials that we can see, they just haven't that extra tinge to them. Maybe they see them in a different shade, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. If you want to really rack your brain, try and think of a new color. Right. I know. Crazy, huh? And it's so crazy how humans, we think we're so important and significant, right? And it's, but just, we can only hear, you know, certain frequencies. Only mm-hmm. see a certain number of, of you know, light wavelengths. But just think about all the signal that's going on that we just can't even appreciate. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to limit it or else we could go bananas, probably. Monkeys love bananas. There you go. All comes back to monkeys. Okay, love. all right. Hey, you're blowing my mind. This is what I wanted. Um, I guess I was, I was going to ask about kind of dynamic range of the human. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about is, is just we only have a, a specific bandwidth of information that we can process. There's so much more going on. Is that God? Is God like everythingnessitude? I I don't know. No. But I'm sure it is to some people. I think I kind of think God is is everything we don't know. It's like everything that's going on plus plus everything we do know. You know that's where we can catch a glimpse of him or her. Um, I definitely don't think it's a, a guy with a throne. In, made of clouds, you know, with the long white beard. Um, I think it's Are you little, sure? How do you know? That? I'm almost, almost one hundred percent positive. That's not what God is. Right? It's a white male, you know, elderly, like screenplay, eighties God. Yeah. You know, walks into the room. Jesus, you're grounded. <laughs> oh man. Um, do you ever think about? Are you a spiritual guy, a religious guy, or not really? No, no, not too much. You don't waste time getting mind boggled by unanswerable questions. Well, you try and find answers, right? Right. So, I mean, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean it's it's a god, does it? Okay. I mean, we have answers today which we didn't have a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. Certainly, yeah. I I want to say they announced. In like the 50s, it's like, all right, we've discovered pretty much everything there is to know about the molecule. I'm sure they've discovered and they found that. the atom. Right? <laughs> they discovered that. They made an announcement every year. Something Until probably like so yesterday. Cocky. And they said, you know what? I, I don't think we've discovered everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, any other... Oh, so the human eye that we don't see in frames, right? We see... Progressive is, is it called? What? Well, progressive is a type of frame. We see a continuous stream of information, or do we see? I'm not an expert on this. It, I think that's kind of a yes and no, because um, our brains process kind of at a frame rate. Uh, if um, think about it, if we didn't see in, to use your term, frames. Everything would be a smear, right? You you have True. to have one frame to define the following image you're going to see. Huh. So if otherwise you would have trails, it'd be like you're an acid all the time. You'd have trail. <laughs> really scary. Uh-huh. 
behind every movement. So you have to have, there has to be an off for every input you get. There has to be an off to accept the next input. So maybe we see continually, but our brain, because doesn't our brain flip the image that we see? I believe so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just because the nature of, and we're just talking about the dynamics of the eye, but the way that lenses work is that the image gets flipped, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so we only have one point because some, some cameras or something will have two, right, which writes it back. But we just have one. And that's so bizarre that, you know, the top of the ceiling right now is coming at me at an angle. And where it's hitting my sensor, or what would you call it, in your eye? The, That'd be your, the, the back of your eye, yeah. where your receptors are. Mm-hmm. Like, the top hits the bottom just because of the way it angles and, and light incidence works. And so your brain has to... Flip it back up. It's used to doing it, so it's got to figure it out. It's also kind of funny to think, like, we're zipping, you know, a million miles per hour through space, and we're not, like, holding on, you know? Like, we're just, <laughs> we've grown accustomed to it, right? I'm holding on. <laughs> we'll we're imagine, like, <laughs> Keeping our balance. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that's a great analogy there. <laughs> well, it's just, wacky stuff is going on, has been going on for so sure. long that your brain's just used to it, right? So at some point, you're right, we're probably slicing the continuous stream into, into manageable, digestible bits. Um, is there theories of, are we sitting at 45 frames per second? Or, I mean, we, we see at 50 millimeter length lens, mm-hmm. about, right? The normal lens. Well, remember, a normal lens will change depending upon the size of the receptor, Fair. the sensor or the film negative. 50 is approximately what 35 millimeter film is. Approximately. And that's what we think we see. Well, no, it is what we see. (laughs) We came up with normal based upon our our vision. Okay. And and it's normal perspective, meaning it doesn't exaggerate by um, increasing depth or uh, compressing depth. Right, because and it's just a fascinating part of cinematography is, is lens length. If you have a really wide angle lens, it's... I feel like we're doing a review of my... Well, why do you think I'm here, man? I love this crap. Okay. You, I don't want to bore you. You already said the PowerPoint is bored you to death. I was... That was just... For you good do, radio, you you're to, supposed to undermine and undercut as much as possible. You want to do it. Let me see. You bored me so much in class. Let's talk about that. Oh, come on. There's a reason I'm back here. Your stuff's good. <laughs> Um, but it is interesting to think, you know, we, we, well, we don't no, see wide angles. Fish, you know, they have a wide angle lens. They can see all the way around right. their well, head. Well, like, well, don't confuse perspective with um, uh, field of view, okay? They're, they're two different things. Field, okay. field of view, we have an extremely wide field of view, meaning you can hold your hands out. You mean depth of focus? No, I mean you hold your hands out on you know straight out like on a peripheral vision, right? And stick your fingers up, and tell me when you can see your fingers. Right here. Okay, so that's you have almost a hundred and eighty degree field of view. Wow. Now, if you took a fifty millimeter lens, which has the same not field of view but the same perspective as our eyes, meaning depth of focus. No, perspective means how it how it presents the the image we're seeing, whether it compresses or expands, okay, the, okay. The, or exaggerates. 
So, but that 50 millimeter lens will not have a 180 degree field of view. Like your eyes do, hmm. but it won't. So that's one thing, field of view. The other thing is perspective. The 50 millimeter lens with the 35 millimeter format will have the same perspective as your eye. Now then let's clarify what perspective is. If you look through a peephole in your door, what does it look like? It's a narrow tube right. with a wide angle. It's got a wide angle, and, and if I came up and stuck my face into that peephole, what would I look like? Your eye would look huge, mm -hmm. and then you would be warped, and, but your head would be kind of warped yeah. around it. Right, so my, anything that's really close to that peephole is going to be, be really large. Mm -hmm. Anything that's far away from that peephole is going to be really small. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be that size difference uh, in relationship to how we see, okay? Everything is related to how we see. So we don't see the way a peephole sees. Does that make sense? Right. So a peephole is a wide-angle lens. Peephole just sounds dirty to me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, people, well, whatever you want. Okay, so this, so peephole is a wide-angle lens, and it exaggerates space, meaning it distorts it compared to how we see with our eyes. And in order to see that same image that way, um, well, we couldn't. We had to use a lens. It, it, it makes things that aren't as far away as we would see them seem further away. Because mm -hmm. the way I tell how far you're away from me is I see size. Okay, you're, you're so much smaller because I know you're Well, come five, on. Give five, me a break. I've been working out. <laughs> you're five feet away. But if you were 20 feet away, you would be even smaller, right? Okay. But if I used a peephole... What I see with you in my normal lens, my eye, at five feet, I'm sorry, at 20 feet, the people might see at five feet. Because hmm. it, it, it makes you smaller a lot faster or closer distances than right. a normal lens. I know it's kind of confusing without illustrations. There's a lot going on. Yeah. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating. So a, a telephoto lens does the opposite it will enlarge things that are further away relative to your vision, your normal perspective vision. So that's what lenses do. You can use it as a, as a cinematic tool. You can use them also as just photography to tools. spy on people. Um, and longer lenses, telephotos, are generally more flattering because why? What they do is, again, let's go back to the people example. If I came up and stuck my nose into that people, what would my nose look like? Very... It would look huge, Stupid. right? Right. It would look huge. My my forehead would maybe look big. It would it would bend back. Uh, my head would look kind of tiny behind. So it would distort my face as almost if it was uh, really big up front and really small behind. So it's not a very flattering lens. My chin might look further away. Right. And as you use a longer and longer lens, it corrects for that unflattering. It squishes the nose back into size to at one point it looks like. It does with our eyes, and then if you continue to use a longer lens, it will then make everything more in proportion beyond what we see with the eye, the human eye. So usually still photographers, when they take, they have what they call a portrait lens, and that will be like an 85 millimeter or 105 millimeter. Those are like their portrait lenses because it compresses space and it will make people look more flattering because their noses aren't as big. Um, their chins are more in proportion with their face. Um, it, it's, it's just uh, the distortion is actually a positive distortion for people's hmm. people's heads just and faces. Just for aesthetically. For aesthetics, but right. it's got to get to a certain point where. You what happens if you get longer and longer and longer out infinitum? 
It will you only get so do... beautiful that the camera exactly. explodes. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it has a limited effect. At some point, it um, it doesn't do it. It'll distort in like a convex way, I guess. No, that's a good question. I've never seen it go so far that it causes someone to look strange in the opposite direction. Hmm. I, I haven't seen that. Interesting. Yeah, I love using long lenses. That's kind of not until I got to film school did I really get to experiment with those. And it's just, and it's so cool with the depth of field. You know, the background's all blurry. Sure. It just kind of mm -hmm. makes you pop. And it's, it's really cool. Um, let's see. What else we got here? Yeah, the, yeah, the syllabus in front of you. Just got, <laughs> got a couple questions. I thought you were going to laugh a little harder at using lava as a key light. I think that's a great idea. It would Use whatever you can as a key light. <laughs> no, you should. You should be creative because you never know what someone else has tried or hasn't tried. And, mm -hmm. and, and you never know what's going to work, so go ahead and well, try lava it. lava is a little dangerous to have near your... Well, I imagine at night lava is pretty bright, so you might be able to use it as a light. If you think some of those great photographs you see of lava at night, yeah. so. Okay, good for you. We got a. I mean, a think bold about it. Creator, uh, right? Imagine the. I mean, it's a huge light source because it's so much lava. Depends on how much lava you're around, I guess. I don't think. Like, I think if lava were ten feet away, we'd be being burned alive. Well, I wouldn't get too close to it, but you would. It would be such an original light source. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and you'd be like, wow. Because it doesn't look so cool, it's lava. It, it does, it's, it's moving, so the light shape is always uh, moving. It's got chunks of stuff on top of it. It's large, it's, it could be kind of interesting. It, it, probably, it would certainly be an interesting light source. Mm. What I always think looks awesome is aquariums. Whenever you do a mm -hmm. scene with a big fish tank next yeah. to you, that is the most beautiful. With oh. the light shining through the surface, so yeah, you have so the you're waves or kinda, yeah. yeah, shining through. Oh, so cool. Always looks great. Um, any particular productions you've been on with dangerous, kind of scary things? Maybe you did like a stunt, or I want to hear about something that's gone wrong. Just somebody broke their arm, or, or even if you heard stories. I mean, Jackie Chan used to. <laughs> break his leg during. Uh, I, I've never done a martial arts a film. <laughs> okay. so. I got hit in the in the face with a crowbar once. Ouch! Yeah, don't use a real crowbar just to get that uh, realistic yeah. look. <clears throat> use the don't one. don't cut corners in safety, please, please. Oh don't god! Do that. Yeah, seriously, it's um, it's just not worth it. No. I also want. I, I'm a little more stupid and less. Um, cautious than you are, I guess, but I've had plenty of dangerous run-ins on sets. I, this one's not so dangerous, but I, I didn't realize you could use fake cigarettes. It didn't occur to me to do that, and so we did a film called Lose Your Cool, and it had me smoking cigarettes, just sure. that kind of badass kind and, of guys. And you do it all day long, and suddenly your throat's like... And I, I never smoked cigarettes, mm -hmm. and you, what, what got me going was the bugs, because I'd, I'd smoked like... 20, 22 cigarettes, and here's a guy who never does that, and I was just... So that was kind of both we, dangerous and yeah, funny. We did a, a, a short where we had a girl, a little girl, 10 years old, sucking on lollipops, and the sugar crash she had, and we didn't even think about it. You know, she's right. she's going to have this thing in her mouth all day long. Yeah. So we should have gotten sugar-free lollipops instead. But So she got really oh. wacky and then just got exhausted. <clears throat> yeah, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. She was like, Mom, I want to go home. <laughs> but she was a real trooper, and she stuck with the, the rest Stay of the production. Stay away from kids and animals, right? Yeah, they're, they're unpredictable, correct. 
I was on one film and the director, I went to his house and he's telling me about how, um, okay, I'm going to put my cat in the film. I said, oh, really? He said, oh, yes, well trained. I said, great. Um, let's get the cat and, uh, and put it on that chair over there. And his wife <laughs> calls his wife over and says, put the cat in the chair. She puts the cat in the chair. The cat hops off the chair. I said, put it back on. Cat hops off the chair. <laughs> Now it's had 30 people, giant spotlights. The cat did not show up on set, luckily. <laughs> you because know, you go, oh, my cat's so well-behaved. And then you right. put it, like you said, in front of 30 people with junk being moved all around, things clanging and banging and strangers, and then your animal's freaking out. And it's just like, ah. Makes Same sense. with kids, too. You know, they seem perfect. And then I think people forget how long a shoot can be. You know, a child may be great for 15 minutes, but you know, you've got four hours left to go. So what do you do? Um, so it's really tricky. So have you never been on any nightmare, meltdown kind of sets? Everything's just gone perfectly for you your whole life? I mean, sets can be hard, especially when the hours get long and things can get stressful, but usually it's just people being grumpy for the most part. You ever have any actors go just super melodrama, um, start screaming at people? I've never seen the Christian Bale type thing happen. Uh, what, what was that? That was, what was the story behind that? I, I believe the cinematographer walked into his eye line. So, uh, <laughs> so he was doing a scene. A particularly looking, demanding, kind of tricky. For the Terminator movie, exactly. You have to understand how important this he movie was. He was in Terminator? <laughs> it was the one that you blew up on, yeah. Terminator Genesis, I think, or was oh. the one before that, the Terminator one right before that. I didn't, I didn't, yeah. okay, so it was on Terminator. Yeah, one of one, I forgot. I want to say Oprah comes out defending Christian Bale or something, but anyway, continue. Set well, I mean, I can't really fault an actor to a certain degree because when you are someone like a Christian Bale, the movie is being made because you are in that movie. Right. Everything hinges upon you and your performance and how you do. And if the movie fails, I'll probably say, they may blame the director, but they'll also, you know, uh, so the pressure just must be monumental, and I can see if um, you've had long days, and, and long days happen a lot on movie sets, you know, 16, yeah. 18 hours, I mean, it's grueling. Uh, and, I mean, yes, the rest of the crew, they have a bad time too, but, you know, if a grip has a bad day and doesn't do well, it doesn't ruin the movie. Right. If the star has a bad day and doesn't do well, you may lose a scene, you may have to reshoot it again, it can be, it can be a real problem. So there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, so, uh, so this poor cinematographer walked in front of the, uh, his eye line and, and threw his concentration off because he was looking somewhere and was focusing on the scene and this dude walks in front of him <laughs> what the hell are you doing? I just screamed at him for 10 minutes and, and of course he was wired with a lot of this mic and the sound guy said, oh, I'm just going to keep on recording. <laughs> so smart, very smart. I want to say the things he yelled were just kind of, just so silly, like he, this stupid idiot like he was he had reached a breaking point he, yeah the straw that broke the camel's back and sometimes and, and you not to blame it all on the director but the director has to go or even the producer they have to they they have to be managers and managers of, the, of that business that business is making that movie and it's like okay we've got um we've got some personnel problems going on here <laughs> our key salesperson is having trouble let's uh let's let's take five yeah sit down and get them uh so I just heard a story uh, about how for Jaws they they hired a girlfriend for Steven Spielberg 
because he would get so stressed out and freaked out towards the end that they brought him like a comfort woman. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. Really? Well, yeah. Not at all. That. Back in the seventies. God, I can't hold it. I had a imagine. friend that worked on him with uh, uh, Oliver Stone, and Oliver Stone is just a machine. There's some directors that just literally require four hours of sleep at night, and he said they would shoot twelve. This was on JFK when it shot in New Orleans here many so years ago. My thesis film shot in the same courtroom. That oh, there you go. They shot that super, film. and you can thank them for the nicer looking courtroom because they. Uh, yeah, they redid it and they just kept it, it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, he said that um, he had a doctor called Dr. Feelgood, and he would give them an injection of B12. I assume it was just B12. Right. <laughs> but if they're 70s feeling, B12. This was, uh, this is in the 90s, oh, early true. 90s. Okay. So, and it was, it was Oliver Stone's personal doctor. And he, this is so funny because, you know, Hitler had a personal doctor that used to <laughs> shoot him up with stuff to get Hitler? him. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. Huh. Well, we'll get to that, but. So, this was, I'm not at all trying to make any analogies between Oliver Stone and Hitler, <laughs> except that they both had personal doctors for work. <laughs> Sorry, Oliver They're Stone. are both New World monkeys, come yeah. on. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so he's, any, anytime you get tired, you could ask this doctor for a shot, a little pick me up huh. shot, a B12. Mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't wait to be at a point in my career where just little perks like that, little, oh, you need a girlfriend, like, here you go. You need some heroin? Here you go. Like, I, I don't think that kind of stuff is... doesn't fly anymore. <laughs> well, no, at some point, it's, it's going to backfire on you. Okay. If, especially if you do drugs. You're going to hit a point where the drugs no longer work. And, and you need more. And, and you need more, yeah. And I think most successful people in the film business realize that eating well, exercising, and getting sleep. a good night's sleep... Yeah is going to last you in the long run a lot better than taking cocaine to get through these days. Right. Sidney Lumet would just take a nap Mm -hmm. every day at lunch. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Mm -hmm. He would just wreck a turkey wrap in five minutes and then sleep for the next 25 or whatever. Yeah, and he wouldn't shoot over eight or ten hours a day, too. I I like that idea. Mm -hmm. It's a little more expensive, but but just like you're saying, those long shoot days, and I mean, I'm just in the... The sunrise of my career. And no, already, yeah, I'm just no like, fun. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, there's an interesting, well, kind of yeah, Haskell Wexler made a documentary called 12 on, 12 off, or something like that. And it was to try and get the film industry to commit to only working 12 hour days. Because it hasn't happened a lot, but there's been film people that have died, literally driven off the road because they're so tired and they've, they've died. <clears throat> and I'm sure there's been a lot of other errors that have occurred on sets because people are exhausted. It's something yeah. like you, a lack of sleep after mm-hmm. 18 hours or something, you might as well be drunk. Yep. My brother told me that there are more accidents called, he's a physician, uh, caused by people with lack of sleep than by drunk driving. Right. And, and, but we don't give you a ticket for being tired, which is right. interesting, right? Right. Even though it's just as dangerous and causes more accidents. Yeah. So sleep deprivation is allowed, is legally. So, so, uh, so if we made it... It's, it's kind of a tricky thing because I think the film industry would be so much more friendlier to people if it allowed people to work 12-hour days and actually have a life and actually have a family that they could visit and see. You know, like Sounds I, nice. I, I read Scorsese. He shot uh, Gangs in New York and in Italy, and they had 10-hour days. And <laughs> the cinematographer was saying they're so ready to shoot some more, and the whole crew is leaving. No, we're out of here. We'll see you. See you tomorrow. There's got to be something to be said for morale and 
I would think so. Yeah. I would think so. It scares me. The your brother's physician. They work. They work back to back twelves. Yeah, that's a little bit different situation. First of all, they won't work uh, six days a week. You know, eighteen hour days like they do in the film industry. They might work a thirty six hour shift. And I think the studies, if I'm not mistaken, the reason they still allow it is because they found there were fewer um, problems in treating patients by having... Switching off exactly, who's in charge of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That introduces so many... A new doctor comes on and doesn't know the, the current situation of a patient unless they read the chart. And even the chart so an is issue. limited. Yeah. yeah. So they find that it is, um, it's better for the patients. I don't. I guess that's accurate. To me, it seems nuts. I don't. I don't have the strength to do anything for. Yeah. Twenty hours in a row, wants, let alone thirty-six. Who wants a doctor in his thirty-sixth hour? Right. Like, help me! Help me! Well, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay. Well, it sounds like you've only heard stories of productions going going awry you haven't been on too many of them yourself no like i said you know most of them have the same situations where you know the big things are people don't show or things break down or it rains or you, know, you get, get kicked out of a location or um or people are tired and things don't happen or it's all problem solving making mm-hmm. movies you know things come up and you get to solve the problems and then you, you just keep moving forward so if one comes to me i'll i will I will bring it up, but I'm drawing a blank right now. Totally fine. Um, no, it's, it's a good thing to have a, oh, I a career. Uh, oh, there you go. This isn't. <laughs> this is. Uh, I worked. I used to sh- work with a guy that shoot, used to shoot this chain of restaurants, uh, commercials. Okay, and this was when I was a PA. I was very I was just starting off in the industry. Okay, and this guy was a bit of a. I'm not gonna name the restaurant, but he was a bit of a megalomaniac, and he owned all these restaurants, right? And he would show up. Uh, sometimes when we're shooting the commercials and and he was really cheap and his marketing person was really cheap too so they would want to <clears throat> hire the actors for half a day cut them loose and then they would shoot the food for the other half of the day well we sh- we shot the actors and cut them loose and then this the owner comes up and uh, wants to know and so he looks over the script and he says no we need to say this line also for the restaurant and all the actors are gone and so I see the director look around at the crew. I was the one person wearing a collared shirt. So he goes, uh, hey, Hamp, you want to get in front of the camera or an extra 50 bucks? All right, so whatever. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so that was my one and only debut in a, uh, nice. in a commercial is when um, this guy came in and said he needed another line. So I had to go sit in front of the camera and eat a, eat a sandwich. So you're like Harrison Ford, pretty much. <laughs> he was working construction, I think. Right. And they needed someone, and they said, hey, well, this guy's kind of beautiful. Get him here. And then he kind of... It, it was not this guy's kind of beautiful. It was the collared shirt. <laughs> this guy's dressed to the nines. Um, but I think what's important is kind of being in, being there, be putting yourself in a position to be in the right place at the right time, sure. you know, so that things can work out. This chance, this opportunity, you got an extra 50 bones, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. always always nice. Always wore a collared shirt from then on. Okay, there you go. It's coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of got to wrap up soon, but uh, I want to talk about the UNO film program. Just kind of plug in sure. a little bit. Um, Love to. You, do you guys remember 
I just I love bringing it all back to me. But um, the admissions process. Do you guys remember being like, we gotta get this guy because he's so cool and his letter of rec. Do you remember of course, anything from Max? Uh, I remember that. I, I, I'm gonna read like my that. recommendation letters. It I tried to seduce the office worker uh, once I was about to graduate to let me into the old file, but they she she held firm. She wouldn't let me in. <laughs> Yeah. Why don't you ask your rec- your recommenders? They should give you a copy. That's not a bad idea, actually. You know, here's a tip: if you're applying for graduate school and you don't get in, um, ask your recommenders because uh, some schools will give you the reason and will return your your material back to you. Mm-hmm. And this happened to a friend of mine, and she got to read her letters of recommendation because I think they were online and they were filled in online and submitted that way. And she read them, and they were they were pleasant. Oh, she's a great student. I've known her for this long. Yada yada yada, pretty generic. Mm-hmm. So she said she wanted to reapply and try and get in again. So she went back to her recommenders and said, "Would you mind if I outline the letter for you that you're gonna write for me?" And they said, mm-hmm. "Oh, sure." First of all, your recommenders are gonna say, "Great, that means less, less work. Less work I gotta do," because <laughs> you're probably asking a faculty member who's writing. You know, probably a dozen of these things at the end of the semester, and or, or maybe a business person who's like, ah, my secretary don't want to write my letters. You want me to do what? So, right. so, uh, and then she did that, and she wrote her own letters of recommendation. Nice. She each one, and then they could modify it, and then and they, of course they signed off on it because they signed it, and she got in the next year. Hmm. And so, write your own letters of recommendation is is uh, is my tip for anyone Whoa. applying for a job or applying for a university. That's a good one. Um, I actually did not get in the first time I applied here because of some clerical, (coughs) some error where the the graduate school is a different entity than the film and theater arts thing. So it was because of some little clerical error that my my email address was wrong. So McGowan Hartman emails me, no, the, the graduate school emails me back saying, oh, you didn't get in. And I was like, so bummed. And I remember sitting for like, you know, 30 minutes on my bed. It's like, all right, I'm moving to Costa Rica and becoming a bartender for a year. <laughs> figure it out and reapply. And so I just kind of thought to be like, all right, I guess it would be smart to email the people and tell them thanks for consideration. Let me know what I could do to improve my portfolio, that kind of thing. I email the graduate uh, administrator or whatever. He's like, mm-hmm. what, did you not get my earlier email saying that we have accepted you? And I was yeah. like, uh, quite the contrary. And it turned out to be some issue, and I had gotten in. And if I hadn't reached out and go. tried to, to figure out what I could do to make it better, I wouldn't have. I would have wasted all. You know what I mean? So wasted a whole year in Costa Rica. Right, just drinking with awful. It would have yeah. been awful. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I did make a mistake. <laughs> Max's eyes have just drifted off <laughs> as he's imagining a whole year in Costa Rica. Um, that's great. That's, I think that's a valuable lesson. Also, is that you followed up. Yeah. Um, because mistakes like that happen. Yeah. Human beings are handling these things, and uh, and the system is far from perfect. To err is human. Yeah. Bill Shakespeare. Um, any. So, so this is the UNO is the only graduate film program in the state, and it's like the oldest one. Yeah, it's been right? around for. It's been around for probably thirty or forty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were a, you're an alumnus of this program as well, right? I am. Mm-hmm. I went. I graduated in nineteen ninety nine. Wow, nice. I was born in 1992. <laughs> Thanks, Max. 
appreciate it. I started it in 96, so you were four years old when I started the program. Just down the block. That's uh-huh. so interesting. I love, it's funny, I... What was I doing in 92? Now you got me wondering. 92. I don't know where I was. Just waiting to meet me, I guess. <laughs> There's, uh, when you're in college, and you're a senior in college, you're like, I'm so old, like, I'm about to start the real world, what's going to happen? And then you go... And people in the real world are like, oh, you're still a baby. And it's kind of, you used to feel good. I tell people I'm 27, they're like, oh, you're still a baby. Like, it's fine. And it's like, wait, I have all this anxiety about growing up and being this guy. And there's just still so much life to live, I guess. But people, when I tell them I was born in 92, they go, oh, my God. Like, you need I'm to tell, old, you're young. You need to tell 18-year-olds you're born in 92. And see what the difference is? And then you'll feel old. Well, when I meet girls, <laughs> and they're only 18, I, I do They're like, old. get away from me, Grandpa. <laughs> Run away. Yes. Um, but, I mean, we're in the UNO Performing Arts Center right now. I'm about to shoot some of my, my pilot, you know, in the concert hall and at the library. Fabulous program. Wonderful. So many resources. Brilliant teachers, educators like yourself. Um, you want to kind of plug sure. a little bit? Of- sure. We are growing quite a bit. The university is growing quite a bit. So it's, uh, it's only becoming better. We've got uh, two new great faculty on staff now. We have a new uh, film studies teacher and a new producing teacher. And it is just uh, another great thing about going to school, not just um, at UNO, but in Louisiana, is that the state, very wisely, with their tax incentive programs, um, if a movie shoots in, a lot of states have these programs, if you shoot in the state, they will give you tax credits. Okay? It's just an incentive. But what Louisiana has done is they said, if you want those tax credits, you also have to have an, ex, an educational component to your, your production. So they have to take interns or they have to um, do workshops, all sorts of great things. And it's, and it's wonderful. So we've had everything from Popeye's commercials to TV shows NCIS. to NCIS to movies. Uh, the movie called The Black and the Blue just did some stuff with... And, and they're all contacting us. So we have uh, a friend of mine, she's from LA, and she went to USC, and she is blown away at the opportunities our students have. She said, you have to fight tooth and nail if you go to USC to get an internship the way these kids have them now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have students that already have jobs. We have a student that did an internship at NCIS New Orleans and is now in the locations department, and he's a senior. He hasn't even graduated yet, and he's already working in the industry full-time. Nice. And, yeah, and so these opportunities that you can get in Louisiana, but specifically at UNO because the heart of the film industry, film industry in Louisiana is in New Orleans. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm making up numbers there because it's true because New Orleans represents so much of the character that people want to capture with the look of the houses and, um, and the streets and the city and the people and just the food. the food, the vegetation, the culture, all that sort of thing is kind of why they come to Louisiana to shoot, not just for the tax incentives, but they want that sort of look. Um, so we have a disproportionate uh, amount of the film production happening. Yeah, there are three or four film studios in the, um, in the New Orleans area and there's productions going on all over the place. And so it's really, a, in my opinion, it's a great time to go into the film industry here in New Orleans uh, and, and at UNO. Because we can, and the program's really strong too. Uh, we're, like I said, we're growing. It's great. Three years was the, the, the master's program, and it's everything from writing, development, producing, there's acting, there's directing, post-production is its whole beast as well. I mean, Right. The graduate program are... Our motto is we're, we're here to train the complete filmmaker. 
So you're going to learn every aspect of filmmaking from screenwriting all the way through post-production and as well as development and distribution. So it's, it's the whole ball of wax. The undergraduate program is real strong also and so that's where a lot of our um, students are going to work in the film industry is through the undergraduate program because they'll get these internships. Our graduate students, they'll, they'll do interns, but a lot of our graduate students want to be writer-directors. Mm -hmm. And so they'll make their own projects, that type of thing, um, whereas a lot of the undergraduates, they can also take that approach and take a lot of production classes and, and write and direct their own stuff. But a lot of them also will be interested in taking internships and, and working. Crew jobs. And, yeah. Crew jobs and working in every aspect of the film industry. and. Whether it's casting or whether it's post production or whether it's working on actual productions, um, the whole nine yards. Awesome. All right. Well, any other aspects of the school you want to plug or apply or? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know our website or else. <laughs> the film we just merged with the School of the Edit Arts. Edit that part out. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, but obviously we're at uno.edu. And, and, and we're the film program, so we're still listed as film and theater, um, mm -hmm. but yeah. So. Awesome. Well, final kind of concluding wrap-up, how can we make the world a better place? What can you share with our audience who are... I, I think it's more podcasts. That's just the way it is, Max. <laughs> All right, I'll take your flippant <laughs> remark. But, um, I don't know, give me, give me something. I know you're not a spiritual guy, but maybe there's just patterns you're recognizing that are leading to unsuccess that we, we want to put a stop to or things what do you think people need to hear I think having more honest genuine conversations sure. like this as a podcast helps to do is certainly a start mm -hmm. I, I guess because I teach I'll say younger people you know college kids and things like that <clears throat> and it seems like um, a lot of them are conscious socially conscious and I think a lot of them are also uh, depressed about our situation in the world mm -hmm. and I would encourage them to realize that the world is in a great situation now. I know we have things like climate change and we have things like problems all over the planet as a loss of uh, environment and, and species and things of those natures but on, so the we got it pretty good. on the flip side we have it amazingly well and I think that's sometimes forgotten in the conversation where we have to tendency to focus on the negativity mm. and don't realize what an amazing planet or a world we live in today and how there aren't world wars, there aren't you know the massive diseases wiping out people that um, yeah, so many things have been treated uh, and, and, and we're so fortunate to have even if you just go back a hundred years ago you know polio you figure, well think about it, in 1917 uh, the Spanish flu I think wiped out 20 million people you know that wouldn't happen today and so we're we're, we're very very fortunate uh, to live when we do um, right now and so so cheer up don't worry cheer up yeah take <laughs> take a moment every day and just appreciate all the blessings that are going on right yeah absolutely I like yeah. that yeah. I'm gonna say I think we could benefit from a little more creativity it's a little bit too much cliche in our social media going on so I would say all the kind of standard selfie like group pictures you can you can change your angle something that I, that I help when you take a group shot try try just taking it from your waist or from your chest you know instead of that kind of standard eye level kind of thing you can mix it up you can um, there you go talking like a filmmaker yeah, yeah. you know mm -hmm. just uh, try different angle 
yeah, don't do the same old tired story, boring stuff, you know? Mix it up a little bit. All right, Hamp, well, unless you want to shout out your your mom or anything else you want to drive traffic towards, <laughs> that's going to complete today's episode. No, just visit us at UNO, uno.edu. Certainly. So, and, and Max, this was fun. I, I had trepidation coming into this. I was like, two hours of this, what the hell? I'm just going to stare at this guy this <laughs> morning. No, it's fun, man. And you've been such a, a shining guide and mentor to me, and I well, appreciate you, it in the past and look forward to more of it in the future. So, by the way, I enjoyed you in Zach's film. Oh, God. All right, we got to go. <laughs> Bye, everybody. I'm just kidding. We should plug that. Run It Back by Zach Hennessy, featuring Max Fisk <laughs> as Johnny Danger. Coming soon. This is a commercial for my new movie available on Amazon.com. It's called The Horse's Ass. It's a short film. When four wild bridesmaids lose the family engagement ring during a raucous bachelorette party, they bring to court the suspected culprit, their stripper, Centaur. Here's a little audio teaser just for you. The stripper stole my engagement ring. Time out. Did you really get those scorpions? My client is a proud member of a stoic race of mythical creatures. He stuffed me like a turkey last night. I am Phaedipides. Let the record show that he is a total dick. Are you sure you passed the bar? I have never passed out. Not at the bar, not ever. Pagan whores! Pagan whores, your honor. The defense calls Jean Latifa. I drove them to a ladies' establishment called Floppy Richards. I accidentally touched her booby area. Fuck you! Yeah, I pulled that tasty little wallaby out of the sea turtle tank. It's very true what they say about horses. Huge. We centaurs live by a code. Our gold must be earned, our women powerful. And preferably with massive breasts. Fantastically, I consent. But you gave it all up to become a mythical slut bag. Objection, your honor. If that sounds like it might float your boat, give a little clicksy on that link in the podcast description. Check it out, giggle, and maybe even leave us a nice thoughtful review on Amazon describing your experience. Bless you, my child.